we are really excited to be continuing this series, You Asked For It. I don't know if you had a chance to be here last week, but last week we kicked it off. And really what we're doing is we are answering questions that you ask. So Easter of this last year, 550 of you guys showed up and you sent in or wrote in your questions. We took over 50 questions. After we kind of put the duplicates together, there were over 50 different questions. We took those 50, narrowed it down to about 11 category, uh, categories of questions, and then threw those up on Facebook in different ways, and you voted. And so we have got the four questions that you most wanted to know about, the answers that you most wanted to get for four questions. And so uh, that's what this series is all about, is that myself and Pastor Cecil are answering uh, the questions that you wanted to know about life, spirituality, the Bible, all sorts of good stuff. And so last week, we answered the question, uh, last week we answered the question, what happens after you die? What happens after you die? And that was good. We answered all kinds of questions about death and the afterlife and heaven and hell and purgatory and all sorts of good stuff. And it's really been kind of a fun for Cecil and I to, to, to kind of prep for this series because not only do we prep for the content, but we also have to prep for maybe some of the extra questions that you guys might ask. So that's been kind of fun to, to read up on that. Last week I spent about an hour and a half studying a question that no one asked. So I, I guess I was smarter for it, but nobody asked the question. So that's all right. Uh, but last week we talked about what happens after you die. This Sunday, today, we're talking about or answering the question, do good people go to hell? Do good people go to hell? We're going to talk a lot about that this morning. The next week, I'm really excited about this, and it's kind of odd to be excited about this, but I'm really excited about next week we're answering the question, is divorce ever okay? Is divorce ever okay? And we are going to dump, jump into the whole messy thing of divorce. And as a church, we've never really uh, talked about it. Uh, a lot of churches don't talk about it. Um, but we, because it was asked and because you wanted to know, uh, we are really excited to talk about that. So if you know anybody that ha is dealing with divorce, thinking about divorce, dealing with the ramifications of someone's divorce, we're going to jump in and see all the stuff that maybe Jesus had to say about divorce. That's going to be good. And then the last week, we're answering the question, how do I know God's plan for my life? How do I know what God wants me to do? What steps I should take? Should I take this job? Should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I move? Should I, you know, what, what is it that, that, that I, how can I know um, God's plan for my life? So we really want you to bring somebody with you these, these last two weeks coming up. If, if you feel like those questions will apply to, to where they are in their life. And we also want this to be very interactive for you. Uh, we want to do our best for you to leave here satisfied Maybe you may not like my answer, but we want you to at least leave here uh, getting some type of answer to your question. And so if, if while we're talking, it triggers another question in your mind, or while we're talking, you think, well, they didn't answer this, and I'm wondering about this, we want you to text those questions in. It's anonymous. The number goes to 502. The text number is 502-230-1591, and they'll leave that up there for you guys. We don't know who's sending it. We don't have a contact list or a phone book, so... We don't know who the questions are coming from, and just ask any question you want throughout the day today, and then what we'll do is, uh, at the end of the message today, Pastor Cecil's going to come up, and we're going to work through answering as many of those questions uh, as we possibly can, so we want that to be interactive. And then the second thing that we're going to do is, there around you, there is a yes-no sign. If you get hot, it, it serves as a church fan as well, but there's, also, there's a yes-no sign. We're going to ask you some questions this morning, and we want you to 
to, uh, to answer yes or no, just to kind of get a little a pulse of the crowd um, and what you think about it, all right? So today we are answering the question, do good people go to hell? And that's a great question because I think if we're honest, I've grown up in some churches where this isn't the case, but, I, but River City, I believe this is the case. I think if we're being honest, we don't want anyone to go to hell. Like, we may not like somebody, somebody may have done us wrong, but we don't want anybody to go to hell. We're not, we're, we don't get excited about the idea of going to hell. Now, like I said, I've been to some churches where that's been the case. It's like, we're going to heaven, they're going to hell, and we're glad about it, all right? But I, I don't ever get that feel at River City. I don't feel like that's kind of uh, our style and what we do. I feel like for the most part, we care about people, we love people, and we don't want anyone to go to hell. And there, there is this conundrum, there is this tension that we all deal with that we know people who are saved, who are Christians, but aren't necessarily good people. And that sounds weird to say, but like, they're mean. How many people have ever met a mean Christian? Let me see your hand. Anybody met a mean Christian? All right. If they're sitting beside you, don't, you know, don't let them know that you're talking about them. You know, maybe it's a parent. I don't know. But, but you just met a mean Christian. If you've ever gone to a church and you sat in somebody's seat that you didn't know was an assigned seat, but it is an assigned seat, you just didn't know about it. Maybe you didn't see the plaque on the side of the pew that said their name on it. You found out that there were some Christians. But we know Christians, we know saved people, church-attending people, who are bad people. They're not good people. And then you, like me, probably also know people who aren't Christians who are really good people. They're morally uh, good. They don't cheat on their taxes. They don't cheat on their spouse. They're nice. They help poor people. If you ever needed something, they would give you the shirt off their back. They're kind. They're loving but they don't believe in Jesus or they're another spiritual you know, belief system or religion. And so we deal with this tension of, okay, if only saved people go to heaven and not saved people go to hell, then does that mean that there are going to be good, good people uh, in hell, right? So I would like to know your answer and what you think the answer to this is. You got a yes or no sign there in your seat. Will there be good people in hell? Yes or no? Let me see your signs. Come on, hold them up. Will there be good people in hell? Okay, all right, all right. Will there be good people in hell? All right, all right. So a lot of yeses, some no's out there, a majority of yeses. And I think the majority of the yeses comes from those of us who grew up in kind of a, a standard evangelical um, uh, church that, that taught uh, a lot of what I'm going to say today, that, that, that saved people go to heaven, unsaved people go to hell. We talked last week about how that hell is a real place, that we may not know exactly what it's going to be like, and it, it's probably not what we think it's like, because we usually can't understand the way God sees things and knows things, but that hell is a real place. We feel like that's definitive, and heaven is a real place, and every human being, we said last week, that at, at every human being who has ever lived is either going to end up in heaven or with Jesus. Let's just put it that way, because we're not going to be in heaven forever. We're going to, anyway, another story. But with Jesus, <laughs> that's the hour and a half I spent on that, by the way. No problem. Or we're going to be uh, in hell with, with the devil. Well, the answer this morning, do good people go to hell? The answer is yes. Good people go to hell. And that is a definitive yes, but it's also a kind of the answer is yes. Good people go to hell 
kind of. And in order to kind of explain uh, what I mean by that, I'm going to have to kind of take you on a little history lesson this morning. If you'll just kind of put up with me for a few minutes this morning, I want to try to explain uh, a little bit of history to you. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to kind of go illustration prop oriented on you. Uh, for just a second. So I'm putting some guys on the spot. They don't know this, but Luke, can you come up here? Jeremy, why don't you come up here? Daniel, why don't you come up here and help me? All right. They, they have no idea I'm bringing them up here. This is not a magic show. They've never met me before. I'm just kidding. They haven't met me before. All right. Let's move this here. Okay. I know these guys pretty well, and so I'm going to enjoy divvying up these spots a little bit. But Jeremy, we're going to make you God. So come on down here. All right. And you just stand. You stand right here. Okay. And uh, Luke, we're going to make you Jesus. And Daniel, we're going to make you sinful man. Okay? All right. So, because I got arrested. That's right, because Daniel got arrested the other night. All right. So back up. You, stay out of the picture for just a second, Jesus. All right? Daniel, you come here for a second. All right. Now, just stand, stand beside uh, God here for a second. Just stand right there. All right. So you probably know the story of Adam and Eve. All right? In the beginning of time, or at least what the Bible tells us is the beginning of time. That's a whole other question. But in the beginning of time... God made man. So God makes man, and he puts him on the earth, and eventually he's going to make Eve as well, and there's, there's man and there's woman, and God says to man, I want you to inhabit the earth, live on the earth, and have domain over it. So it is, it's yours. I'm giving it to you. And I want you to live here, and life back then was not like life now. And here's what I mean. And I don't want to get freaky on you boys, but just turn for me and face each other. All right? This is going to get a little weirder, but I want you to hold hands. Both hands. Just so you could hold hands for me. There you go. All right. All right. So God makes man. And, and while this is going on, the Bible says, okay, this is not Jason. This is the Bible. The Bible says that God would just show up about four in the afternoon and just sit on the front porch and hang out with Adam. That's what the Bible says. How incredible is that, by the way, right? You come home from work, you're tired, and in the living room is, is God, <laughs> literally, and you just hang out with God. The Bible says that's what's happening, is that God shows up. Are his hands sweaty yet? Okay. That God shows up uh, in the day, the Bible says in the evening, and, and just walks with Adam, walks with Eve. And at this time, there is no sin in the world. No one has sinned. No one's rebellious. No one's been tempted to lie. No one is lusting. Nothing. There is no corruption. There is no sin. It is a perfect place. God and man spending time together as close as you can possibly get. Now, we could get them closer, but that would freak them out a little bit. So just go with me here and say that God... God and man are as close as they could possibly be. This is great. All right. This is great. So here's what happens. This is working out better than I thought it would in my head. So here's, here's what happens. And we know the story that, that Eve eats the apple because Adam doesn't lead his family well. Eve eats the apple. And sin enters into the picture, and what happens, you know, figuratively and literally, literally, is that sin separates God and man. So man, sinful man, is over here, and God is over here, and they're not close like they used to be. They're, they're not, there is sin now. 
there is something that separates God and man, whereas before, nothing separated God and man. So one more time, God shows up on the earth, and he comes looking for Adam and Eve. He comes looking for man after they've eaten the apple. You know the story. And he shows up, and he says, where are you? And the Bible says that man is hiding, and the Bible says that they're hiding because they're naked, and they don't go there. And, we, and they realize... They realize that they're naked, and that's significant because up to that point, they didn't realize they were naked. They didn't know what naked was. They didn't know what lust was. They didn't know what sexual attraction in a lustful way was. They didn't know that. But because now sin has entered the world and broken the connection between God and man, now man starts thinking thoughts that aren't God thoughts. He starts uh, viewing the world in non-God views, and sin has entered the picture. It doesn't mean that man is this awful, despicable, you know, uh, awful person, but it does mean that there is sin now between God and man. And it doesn't mean that God no longer has anything to do with man, because there's a distance, but God can speak to man. God can say, hey man, hey Adam, hey Daniel, hey Moses, hey Abraham, hey Elijah, hey Elisha. Hey, God all through the Old Testament is speaking to man, but he's got to communicate from somewhere else down to man. And, in order, and, and the reason he's doing that is because there's sin in between God and man. Is everybody still tracking with me? Okay, so God gives Moses a law. He gives him a lot of laws, but he gives him this, this five books of the Bible uh, that, that kind of tell this story. But he really gives him kind of two books that are filled with laws. And the laws are incredibly detailed. And the laws are God telling man, okay, I'm giving you these laws. And if you obey them perfectly, which man can't do, but if you obey them perfectly, it would be as close to where we were in the garden as we could possibly get. We still can't get back to there, but it would be as close as we could get if you obeyed every one of these laws. All right? But man, like you and me, screws it up. I mean, they, we, we struggle keeping ten. He starts with a couple hundred, narrows it down to ten. We can't even keep those ten, right? And so man keeps messing up. He keeps sinning. He keeps doing what he's not supposed to do against God, all right? And so God, in these laws, he says, listen, I'm going to give you a way to temporarily be right with me. I'm going to give you a temporary fix to this problem that we have. And so he says, if you take a, a, a lamb... A baby sheep, a, a lamb that is perfect, that is spotless, that doesn't have spots on it and is, is, is never, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's the most perfect lamb you can find. If you take it and you kill it and you sacrifice it, okay, the blood that gets sacrificed there is going to, because it's pure, it's going to separate this, okay, and it's going to bring us close together. We're not back to Adam and Eve yet, but we're, we're, we're now close because you have sacrificed something to uh, pay for the sin of man. Is everybody still tracking with me? Okay. All right. So man would come and sacrifice a lamb, but I mean, by three of the afternoon, the day of the sacrifice, he's already screwed something up. I mean, if you read the Old Testament, it's screw up after screw up after screw up after screw up. I mean, we can't get it right. God blesses, we mess it up. We ask for forgiveness. God blesses, we mess it up over and over and over and over and over again. That's the cycle. That's the cycle. That man is broken, man is sinful because of that stupid apple, okay? And there is a separation between God. So one day, 
well, I said it like God didn't know what was going to happen. But God, New Testament, all right, we're working through the Bible here. New Testament, God decides to send Jesus. Come on, Jesus, all right? So God decides to send Jesus. Now, I'm going to go a little old school. Not yet. Don't try to, pre- don't, don't try to preach the sermon for me, all right? I'm not there yet. All right. Okay, thank you. So God sends Jesus, and I'm going to go a little churchy on you here for a second, but Jesus was the spotless lamb. You ever heard that? Here's why he was the spotless lamb. Because he was without sin. Jesus lived 33 years. He did not sin, okay? It's impressive. 33 years, he was God and man. He's in the middle of God and man. He's all God. He's all man. And he's the spotless lamb, lamb of God who has not sinned. Does everybody, now those songs will make sense if you ever hear them about the lamb, okay? All right? So God sends Jesus to die on the cross without sin, the spotless lamb, the sacrifice, whose blood forgives us, covers our sins, right? He dies, he raises from the dead, he goes back up to be with God. So now Jesus, God's son, is with God, and the Bible says that Jesus is our intercessor. He intercedes on our behalf, and what that means is he stands in between, all right? So God, hold hands here. So God has Jesus. Jesus saves man, okay? And now the only way that man can know God, are you with me, is to go through Jesus. Is everybody tracking with me? This is Gospel 101 right here. If man wants to know God, they got to know Jesus. And the the reason we know that, a lot of verses, but the reason we know that is Jesus said when he was walking around, no man knows the Father, okay, unless he goes through me, all right? So man says, I want to know God, and he goes through Jesus, and this is kind of the picture of our relationship with God, God, Jesus, and man. And so when we decide that we want to know God, all right, we accept, we accept Jesus. These are all churchy terms. You've heard us use church terms. We, we talk about a lot. We accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. In other words, what we're saying is, I want to know God. And so I want you to be the Lord of my life, the Savior of my life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you, you were God's son. You lived a perfect life and that you died on the cross for my sins. Let me read you a scripture. You guys keep holding hands one second, all right? All right, look at this scripture in Romans 3, 22 through 25. Romans 3, 22 through 25. All right, I skipped Romans 5 back there, sorry. All right, Romans 3, 22. We are made right with God. We're made right. It got broke with Adam and Eve. We are made right with God by placing our faith in who? Jesus Christ. And this is true for who? Everyone. Everybody. Who believes? We'll talk about that in a second. No matter who they are, no matter how bad they are, no matter what they've done, no matter how bad they've blown it, if they believe in Jesus, they are made right with God. It just takes faith. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. How can we be righteous if we're sinners, if we've fallen, if we're broken? He says, but yet God declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus. So when God looks at Daniel, he sees Jesus. Are you with me here? So the reason that God says Daniel is righteous is because he sees Jesus. 
Jesus is in between. He's our intercessor. He intercedes on our behalf. When he freed us from the penalty, the penalty, we didn't read Romans 5, but Adam's condemnation on man, he freed us from that sin, okay? Through Christ Jesus, he freed us from our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Okay? Does everybody follow me there? We are made right with God. Adam and Eve broke it. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. All right? Give these guys a hand. You guys can go down. Great job. Now, it sounds so simple. Does it not sound so simple? All you have to do is believe. That's all you have to do, is believe that Jesus really did die on the cross and that Jesus really did shed his blood, the spotless lamb, to die for our sins, right? But when the Bible says believe, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, what's the word? Believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's not talking about like a informational belief. Like, do you believe that I weigh 192 pounds? You know, I mean, I'm not asking you, but I'm saying like, you either believe that or you don't, but that's like an informational belief. Step on the scale, we'll see. I believe you do or I believe you don't. Do you believe it's going to rain today? Do you believe it rained last night? Like, those are informational type beliefs. Does everybody understand what I'm saying there? So when the Bible says, if you believe, the Bible isn't just saying, do you believe that a guy named Jesus really did live? Well, historically, yeah, I do believe that a guy named Jesus lived, okay? Well, do you believe that Jesus died, that there was a cross and Jesus died on it? Yeah, 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 I, I believe that. The Bible doesn't just mean an informational belief. The Bible means believe in a spiritual transformational type of way, and here's where it gets all weird. Here's where it gets all kind of difficult, and it's not as simple as just saying, oh yeah, well my mom and dad took me to church, and I do believe that Jesus died on the cross. See, the Bible says that no man comes to the Father, no man decides to come to God, except that which the Holy Spirit draws to him. Let me tell you what that means. That means that you may know you're a sinner, like, you may know, like, yeah, Adam and Eve broke it and I'm a sinner. But that in order for you to accept Jesus, you have to know you're a sinner. You have to believe, like, like broken, like, oh my, like, I am a wicked, sinful man. And the Bible says that we don't even know that unless the Holy Spirit enables us to know that. And a lot of you know what I'm talking about because there came a moment where you were sitting in a church service or a camp or a small group or a conversation. And in that moment, like never before, something happened in your heart and you went, I need Jesus. I, I need Jesus. I'm broken. I, I'm broken. I don't just want to be a better person. I don't want to just smoke half a pack less. I don't want to just not be a drunk. I'm broken and I need Jesus. So the Holy Spirit convinces us that we're sinners. And when we believe, not informationally believe, but when we believe like I'm broken, I need Jesus, I'm a sinner, the Bible says that we accept Jesus, what he did for us, and we become a new 
creature. That we become a new person. That our heart is reborn and we become a brand new person. So John 3.16, everybody knows. John 3.17, some people know. But John 3.18 says, There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Now, it's not that we're not guilty anymore. It's just that there's no judgment against us, right? There's no judgment against us, anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. The Bible doesn't mean believe like historically I think that happened. The Bible means believe in the sense of has your heart become new? Are you a new creature? The whole chapter of John chapter 3 is really great. You can go read it. It's about Nicodemus. And Nicodemus shows up to talk to Jesus. And he says, hey, I want, I want this. And Jesus says, I, I can't give it to you. you got to be reborn. And Nicodemus goes, I'm a grown man. How am I going to get back in my mom's belly? And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's being reborn like becoming a new creature in your heart. He says, I, I, I can't even explain it to you. The Holy Spirit's got to do it. And most of us in this room know what I'm talking about. Because it happened to you, and it happened to me. That there came a moment where the Holy Spirit said, it's time, and you said, I need Jesus. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. And I need Jesus, and I believe. Like, I know, I know that Jesus gets me to God, and I want that. I want that. So... The answer is yes. Good people do go to hell. Kind of. If you mean in the sense of morally good, like they never cheated on their taxes and they don't cheat on their spouse and all that stuff, then yes, there will be good people in hell. But the answer is also kind of no, because there's no such thing as good people. When Adam and Eve broke it, when, they, when sin entered into the world, we are sinners. We're born sinful. Nobody has to teach us how to rebel. Nobody has to tell my two-year-old how to lie to me. Nobody has to teach her how to say, how do I say, did you eat that cookie, Nora? No, I did not. Well, then why is there chocolate on your mouth, Nora? Okay? I don't know. I didn't eat it. Yes, you know, nobody has to teach her how to do that. It's intrinsically in her because sin is in this world. So God doesn't view us like, well, he's committed four sins and he's committed 400. We're just guilty. We're guilty. And the Bible says we're all guilty. And we'll be guilty till the day we die. The only difference is for those who believe in Jesus, there's no judgment. There's no judgment. And we get to go to heaven and be with Jesus. And those who choose not to, those who in that moment, and, and, and we believe that the Bible says that everyone will have that moment, that chance. Some have a hundred, some have one. But in that moment when the Holy Spirit says, I'm broken, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. In that moment, for those people who say, no, no. They may say, I'm not ready yet. They may say, no, I don't want anything to do with it. They may say, I don't believe in that garbage. That's ridiculous. When they choose to do that, they're guilty just like you and I are. But Jesus makes us judgment free. And them not choosing Jesus brings judgment on them. And so it's not this harsh punishment that says, well, that's not fair, because they chose to not have Jesus. And so hell and heaven is just a continuation of the choice that we made on earth. If I choose Jesus on earth, then the Bible says I'm going to get forever 
to be with that choice. And if I choose not to have Jesus on earth, then I'm going to get forever to have that choice. If I didn't want Jesus here, then why would I want Jesus there? Right? I have to believe. So that's the first question. Are there good people in hell? Yes, there are morally good people in hell. No, there's no such thing as good people. So the next question is, that's the much shorter answer is, can you lose your salvation? Maybe you don't care about this, but where I grew up in, this was like the big debate all the time. I don't know. Anybody ever have this debate with people in church? Anybody? Okay, like four of us. That's all right. Just bear with us for everybody who don't care. All right. Can you lose your salvation? If I believe in Jesus, all right, we're holding hands up here, man, Jesus, God, we believe. Can, is there something that I could do? Is there a sin that I could commit? Is there something that I could do that would separate me from Jesus and I no longer get to be a Christian? Can I show you one more illustration? Just because the first one was so much fun. All right? Okay? Cecil, come on up here for a second. This is a Hello Kitty bathrobe for like a 12-year-old. And we're going to put it on Cecil. All right, so Cecil, put this on for me. The arms are there. There you go. There you got that? Don't act like you don't wear bathrobes all the time. Come on. Okay. Okay, so we, we have explained the gospel. That's beautiful. We have explained the gospel, okay? Now the question is, is there something I can do to lose it? Okay? Galatians 3, 26 through 27 says this. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Who is? The people who in that moment said, I believe in Jesus. I'm a sinner. I need God in my life. I want to connect with God through Jesus, Okay? Through faith in Jesus Christ, you, you, you're, you believe in God. Okay, you believe in Jesus. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. That's what Galatians 3, 26 through 27 says. So Cecil gives his heart to Jesus, and he has been united with Christ. And the Bible says, to help us understand it, it's like he has put on new clothes. The, the New King James and stuff talks about, you know, we put on the righteousness of Christ, Okay. But, but he says, through faith in Jesus Christ, it's like you've put on new clothes, all right? And so Cecil is now connected to Jesus and holding hands with Jesus, holding hands with God. Everybody's still got that picture in their mind. And when he decided to do that, it's like he put on new clothes, okay? What is this? What's that motion? You just, I'm uh, displaying my new clothes. Okay, there you go. All right. All right, so he threw me off. Okay, so... According to the Bible, and some of Jason's opinion, but a lot of Bible, Jason's interpretation, you know, we all have to interpret it. There is nothing in the Bible, nothing, there's no descriptions in the Bible that ever list an action that takes his jacket off. There, there's a, Cecil can't go drink enough alcohol for his robe to disappear. He can't go sleep with enough women to make his robe disappear. He can't steal enough money to make his robe disappear. Why do, you, why do I say that? That doesn't seem right. You mean he could cheat on his wife as much as he wants and he still knows God? Because the Bible says that we're saved by grace, not by works, so we can't brag about it. And we mean that, interpret that as, if works, things can't save us, then we also believe that things can't unsave us. You say, well, man, that still doesn't feel right. I know. I grew up in like, if I say a cuss word, I've been perfect, but I say a cuss word when a car hits me before I go off a cliff, I'm burning in hell. Anybody else grow up like that right there? 
I have lived a perfect life, but I realize I'm about to go off a cliff and drop a, you know, S-H-I-T or something straight to hell. Straight to hell, okay? I almost said it, but that would have been bad. Then I would have gone to hell. All right, so. <laughs> there is nothing that I can do. I told you I'm not the pastor that cusses around here. There is nothing... There's nothing that I can do that my robe vanishes, that my robe disappears. I don't know God, and then because I got wasted, I wake up in the morning, and it's like, I'm, my robe's gone. I don't know Christ. But the Bible says, here, here's where's the catch-22. The Bible says that I'm a new creature in Christ. So that, so that I've put on new clothes. I've put on a new jacket. And so if I examine my life, and the way that I'm living and the things that I am doing, the question in a very simple form that doesn't answer all questions, but in a very basic form, the question I have to ask myself is, do I look more like my old self or do I look more like my new self? The way that I'm living, the things that I'm doing, do I look, do I look like I'm wearing my old clothes or do I look like I'm wearing my new clothes? I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm a new creature in Christ. You say, well, Jason, does that mean I'm going to sin? Oh, you're going to sin. Does that mean I'm going to mess it up? Oh, you're going to mess it up. Well, how much sin can I have until I'm not in anymore? There's no answer for that. There's not a quantity of sin that disqualifies you. Because the only thing that saves you is believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You say, well, Jason, you're telling me I can do anything I want and God will forgive me and it doesn't matter? That's exactly what I'm telling you. I love this quote by Philip Yancey. He's one of my favorite authors. God took a great risk by announcing forgiveness in advance. God took a great risk by announcing forgiveness in advance. Now, personally, Jason, this is just Jason's opinion. If I find myself constantly wanting to cheat on my wife, I don't love her. That's my opinion. That if I love her, I would never choose to hurt her. I'm a broken man. But, like, if I say to her, like, listen, I also want, I want to still be married to you, but I, just so you know, like, I'm going to, I'm just going to cheat on you as much as I possibly can. Can we all just admit and be honest, that's not love. That's not covenant. That's not relationship. And so I would rather err on the side of grace and just tell you that what I believe according to the Bible is there's not one action that you could do in a certain enough quantity that your robe just disappears. That God says, oh, you're out. But I do believe that if we let enough sin... God, come on back up here for just a second, Jeremy, if you don't mind. So Jeremy puts his robe on, you know, he's wearing the righteousness of God, face each other. I do believe, and I can't prove this, so this is Jason's opinion... So don't take this to the bank. This is just my opinion. I do believe that if we let enough sin enter into our lives, just a little bit of sin, no big deal, I'm not really worried about it, but then I keep sinning. I'm really kind of going spontaneous here. Hold that for a second. I just keep sinning, and I keep sinning, and I keep sinning. I believe there comes a point where I, don't, I can hardly see God in my life anymore. 
Because I have all of this sin that I'm not dealing with, I'm not working through, I'm not asking for forgiveness for, or maybe I am, I don't know. But if I let enough sin hang around in my life for long enough, I think I wake up one day, and God doesn't take his robe off of me, but I think I wake up and I go, I don't really want to do this. Like, what's the point? There's no difference between not knowing Jesus and knowing Jesus. Why would I say that? Because I'm living as my old self. I'm an old creature. I'm not living as a new creature in Christ. When your heart transforms, it doesn't mean you don't sin. It doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. But it means that every time you do, you find yourself asking, how can I, how can I get this right with God? Not in a guilt, not in a condemnation, not in a I'm a loser, God's mad at me. But God, I just want to know you. Like, I just want to love you. Like, I, love, I just want to be closer to you than I possibly can. There's something separating us. I don't like that. I want to get closer. So I'm going to fess up. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can to fix this. But if Cecil, lets hang, if Cecil lets sin hang around long enough in his life, and he, and he starts thinking things like, you know what, I'll do this, and it doesn't even matter because God's got to forgive me. I, I know my wife can't divorce me, so I'm just going to do whatever I want. right? I believe there will come a day that Cecil will wake up, and he'll take his robe off, and he'll hand it back to God, and he'll say, I don't want it anymore. I just don't want it anymore. Why? It doesn't even matter. There's no point because his heart has not been changed. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, you can take that off. You guys can go sit down. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. Okay, so we just covered like a whole semester college course on the book of Romans, okay? That's what we just did in 28 minutes, I think. Um, and that probably gives you all sorts of more questions. And I know for a fact that last little three minutes, some of y'all don't even agree with that. I get that. That's 80%, 90% Bible, 10% Jason, because there is no sure answer. It's a debate that's been around forever, but we just do the best that we can to interpret it. And God is not cruel. God does not go, oh, you want to you have a relationship with me? No, 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 no. Not going to let you do that. There is never a morning that God wakes up and says, you know what? It's my will that some should perish today. No. The Bible says it's always his will that none should perish. So, so I believe as long as you want it, God says you can have it. But you may wake up one day and not want it, okay? All right, so that's really all I wanted to cover. Cecil, do you have any questions that are coming in? Come on up, Cecil. Can help us out. Come on up, sinful man with a new robe. Here's a seat here if you want to sit down. All right, so Jay, we got a couple of questions. Um, all right. One that you knew about in advance, and I think this hits, hits home with a lot of people, so I think we should probably address this one. But a lot of parents will wonder... Um, what about my kids? They, you talked about believing and, yeah. and you know, if you don't choose to follow Jesus, what happens with children? Well, we said last week there are three ways to answer a question. Based on what the Bible tells us, there's like definitely yes. That's right there. It's in the Bible. There is, we don't know, but we kind of think this because based on the nature of God and certain things in the Bible, that's what we kind of think. And then the last part is we just don't know. And um, I was taught a certain way about kids and salvation and by my father. And I called him this week, and I said, hey, Dad, I've always thought this because I've heard you talk about that. Where is that in the Bible? And he goes, that's ah, not in there. That's what he told me, like right off the bat. He goes, that's ah, not in there. I said, for real? He goes, yeah. So me and him started digging around through some conversation. There is nothing in the Bible that gives us any clarity about kids knowing God. Nothing. Now, the only thing we have is the nature of Jesus Christ in the Gospels when he says, let the little children come unto me. That's the only thing we know about the nature of God, that he loves children and that he wants children close to him. 
So opinion, level three here, opinion, we believe that God does not hold someone responsible for something that they do not know. But that once they have the opportunity to know it, that they are held responsible for that. We have no way of proving that. The only thing we're doing is leaning on the nature of God that says we would have the opportunity to believe and, 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 and choose to do that or not choose to do that. So for some, my wife says all the time that she got saved at what age, babe? I'm, I'm being serious. She says, stop, like I'm making fun of her. No, okay, so she says six, okay? At six years old, I, I didn't know, I mean, I didn't even know, like, how to put Legos together. I mean, I was way behind. So, like, I didn't understand Jesus, the cross, none of that. My wife is incredibly intelligent, and it sounds like I'm making fun. I'm being dead serious here. She, there was something the Holy Spirit in her life said, you're broken. And she said, I want Jesus at six. For me, I think it was about ten. I remember walking into my dad's living room um, and, and kind of knowing that. But we don't know. Now, if you, are, if you grew up Catholic, that's why you have baby baptism, right? That's why you have infant uh, you know, baptism. Because the idea from, from Catholics is that you baptize a child because you're washing the original sin off of them so that if anything happened to them, they would go to be with God. That's not biblical at all. Mine's not biblical either, but that's not biblical at all. Like, these are man-made ideas that... You know, theirs kind of makes you feel better about it. You know, the Catholic version kind of makes you feel better about it. That's great. But, like, there's no biblical backing for that. And for ours, it's just an opinion based on we, we think the nature of God says, I'm not going to hold somebody responsible for something they don't know about. So, A couple of thoughts with kids, if I could add on to that. Jay, Please do. We, we talked about this in advance. You let me know, and I researched some things. One, one is, is an idea that I had that's not from the Bible, and one is something I, I learned about Scripture. But... Um, one thought is, you know, kids and, and I'm hoping I'm not ruining any parents and their children's relationship. A lot of kids, we tell, we tell them about Santa Claus when they're, when they're young, right? And, and they believe us. They just go along with what we say. We, we say, here's, here's presents from Santa. And, and they're happy to get presents from Santa. There's, there's going to be a, a, an age and a point at which they got to decide, is this from Santa or is this from Mom and Dad? Now, Lou and I would get our kids presents, and, and we would want them to, I would want them to say, it's from me because it was like a bike. And she's like, nope, Santa brought them that, that present. So Santa's, Santa is way better than mom and dad anyway, but um, I just hope I'm not ruining that. But there's a choice that, that they make at some point when they get some You're blowing my mind right now. Like, <laughs> I am so messed up. All right, listen. Here, here's the one from the Bible. Um, there's a word that's used for children in the Old Testament several times. And, and it's, it, the Hebrew word means innocent, right? The, the children are innocent. And the, and the word that's used for innocent like, literally means not guilty. And so there's this thought that, you know, there's a, there's a point at which children, God views them as innocent, not guilty. Like, they're not held accountable for their sin yeah. because he views them as not guilty. Um, another question that came in, Jay, um, had to do with, like, deliberate sin. Doesn't the Bible say something about deliberate sin? And, and I knew it was in Hebrews, but I looked it up real quick. Um, it says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we, after we receive knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice, no sacrifice for sin is left. Yeah. So you, you address it really well. Sure. I think that it's easy to kind of take that verse and just apply it to everything. But i got to be honest with you. Every time I sin, I know I'm going to do it before I do it. So the idea of deliberate sin, if you say that in the sense of like all my sins have to be accidental, they're all deliberate. You know, I, if we take that to mean I decide that I'm going to live a life not for Jesus— and I'm kind of premeditating that this is all bull and I'm not all in. Okay, I get that. But the idea of, like, my individual sins not being deliberate, like, I, 
I know I'm going to lust before I lust, and I choose to lust. You know, does that make sense to everybody? Like, so I may not have a conversation with myself. Should I do it? Should I not? Should I do it? Okay, I'm going to do it. But like the split second before, because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful and just. He'll always provide a way out. So I've always thought that to mean that like every time I'm tempted, there's a back door out. And if I'll take a half a second and try to find it, I can find it. Okay. So, but they're all deliberate. So I think it's just a matter of maybe parsing terms there a little bit. And then the last one that came in for this is what about those who have never been exposed to the truth? And I get this question a lot as a pastor, you know, what about people that have never heard about Jesus? Never, yeah. you know, never, or, or somebody who's disabled maybe and can't comprehend. So there's, there's that whole question too, which is a very tough one for us. It's incredibly tough. Address it directly. And I wish I had a better answer, but let me just kind of not answer the question and answer something else. That's why it's so important that we have a heart for generosity and missions because we want every person on the face of the earth to have a chance to accept Jesus Christ. And that takes people and that takes money and that takes courage. And it's easy to come to church on a Sunday morning. It's hard to say, hey, I'm gonna pack up and go to Africa, Thailand, whatever. And so that's one of the reasons we do imagine is we wanna get as much money together and find people that we believe in and say, how much do you need? Go. And, um, but, but there again, we, going, it's the same as children in, in my mind. Opinion, level three. God's not going to hold someone responsible for something that they cannot know about. Now, I believe that the Bible does teach that our very nature knows that God exists by what we see around us. And, and my child is guilty of sin at two, but Nora sins. She disobeys her parents or whatever. But she's not knowing what it is and choosing it. You know what I'm saying? So I would say the, that's just where I stand. I've always wanted and chosen to believe that God is more gracious than I think he is. And so there are some people who don't feel that way. I used to feel the other way. I grew up in that. Like, you know, narrow is the road, so only a few are going to get in, you know. I was actually in Atlanta for a pastor's conference, and there was a um, uh, Jehovah's Witness conference, uh, and they were all standing in our motel. And, um, and we began to talk about it, and, you know, they believe only 144,000 get in but there's 7 million Jehovah's Witness. So I don't know how that works. But anyway, um, so, but this idea of like, oh man, hope you don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. I just, I think our job is to love God with all our heart and God is more gracious. So anytime somebody asks me like, well, do you think they'll get in? I go, I hope so. I hope so. And I hope so. I don't want anybody to go to hell, you know? And if that makes me happy, then I got a heart problem, you know? So I don't know. Any other questions? That was it. Well, guys, listen, we have taken time today to just hopefully explain the cross, explain the gospel. Service is not over. We actually have some worship we're going to do and some prayer time that we're going to do. But it would be crazy for us this morning to not give someone in this, oppor- in this, in this room an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Um, because maybe you're here today and you'd say, man, that Holy Spirit is drawing me. It is leading me. So everybody, everybody bow your heads for me. Close your eyes. Nobody looking around. But if you're here today and you would say, Jason, look, man, you just explained all that. And I don't even know if I get it, but I do know this, that I feel like the Holy Spirit is drawing me. I'm feeling conviction. I'm feeling something on my shoulder in my heart and my mind that's saying it's time to give my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you, why nobody's looking around. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to make you stand up or come down front or anything like that. But if that's you, would you just raise your hand? You would say, Jason, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Yeah, just keep your hand up. Matter of fact, just make eye contact with me if you're raising your hand. Yeah, that's great. Stay right there. They're bringing you a little bag. That's it. That's all we're going to do, I promise. Yeah. You can put your hand down as soon as they get to you. Anybody else? A lot of hands going up. Anybody else? You'd say, man, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. 
Can I get everybody in this room to pray this prayer with me? Repeat it after me. It's not the words that make the difference. It's the heart. But especially if you raise your hand, can we pray this prayer together? Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know that now. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross and loving me when I didn't deserve it. The next time I fall, help me to get up and run to you, not away from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just give a hand to those who gave their heart to Jesus Christ this morning? Everybody stand up with me. Everybody stand up. We're going to spend some time worshiping, so don't slide out. Don't leave yet. We've still got some time here in the service. But as Andrea and the team lead us this morning in this first song, we want to give you an opportunity to have prayer. We know that you don't just come to church to hear a sermon or hear some songs. We want you to have a chance to connect with God, to feel like on some emotional level there was a connection between you and God. And and we feel like that one of the best ways for that to happen is prayer. So if our prayer team volunteers will go ahead and come on down front, Uh, our prayer team workers come on down front. And as Andrea leads us in this song, if you're here today and you would say, hey, I just want to have prayer. Maybe I've got a hospital appointment. I got a doctor's appointment. I got medical tests. I got job transition. I got marriage trouble. I got finance trouble. Maybe I gave my heart to Jesus this morning and I just want to pray with somebody about some things that I'm going to face when I walk through out these doors today. As we're singing, this team down front would love to pray with you. Nobody's judging you. Nobody's watching you going, ooh, I wonder what they're praying about, all right? Nobody's doing that. We love you and we just want you to have a chance uh, to pray. And for those who don't come down front, let's just worship. Let's sing this out. Um, together. God, thank you for what you're doing this morning in the hearts of the people. And God, I just pray, God, that you would do something great, continue to work in our lives during this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.